0: We're in a book called Galatians as we study together on Sunday mornings and you have an outline that is available for you in the bulletin you received. I always believe that you get a lot more out of it as you have that sort of follow along and you can see how soon I'll be done as well. It's sort of a helpful, <laughs> helpful tip for you, you know, okay, so he's almost done. Uh, and uh, we want to worship the Lord together through the Word of God and the book of Galatians. We've been going through it. It's all about legalism versus grace faith alone in Christ versus doing good works to be able to gain our salvation. It's the big picture. This passage today is all about a foolish faith. And I couldn't think of a better person than the theologian Mr. T to help us to understand. Remember the A-team? A lot of us are old enough. We remember the A-team. And I couldn't think of a better person to sort of set up I think the tone and the attitude of Paul in today's passage. So let's take a look and listen. I don't hate that boy, but I pity the fool, and I will destroy any man who tries to take what I got. What's your prediction for the fight then? Prediction? Yes, prediction. Pain. <laughs> I don't know if you heard at the very beginning there, he says he pities the fool. That was, that was Mr. T's line. I pity the fool. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Galatians. I pity the fool who believes the wrong gospel. Paul's on a journey. He has traveled around on this region of the world. You can see it on the map very quickly. And he's in this process of going through Turkey, uh, that we in those days was Asia Minor, Galatia. And some of these port cities that he would go into as well. And he would travel around. You see the cities of Antioch and Iconium. These are some of the places that you see listed in the book of Galatians. But this morning we're going to drill down on what does it means to have a foolish faith. Paul was pretty blunt. We're going to spend most of our time actually in the first five verses of Galatians 3. We have 1 through 18. I figured if we'd spend even two minutes on each verse we get through it, but that doesn't do justice to all those verses. So I'm going to drill down a little bit more on the first five verses. Let me read those verses for us. hope you have a Bible. We encourage you to turn to it. Use the Bible and share it right in front of you. You don't have your own Bible. That's your Bible. You take that home free of charge. He says to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians. There's I pity the foolish. You get the tie in? Thank you. I, I felt like I had to work a little bit too hard to make that, but... Uh, You foolish Galatians, and I I appreciate the bluntness of Paul. I mean, he just doesn't hold back. I would never call you foolish. Number one, this is Sunday morning service, and number two, I need this job. But you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? you notice question number one. Question number two is in verse two. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Question number 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? There it is again. Having begun by the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer in so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Question number 4. And then verse 5, the fifth question. Does he then, uh, who provides you with the Spirit and the works of the miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. And then he goes into the illustration of Abraham, that even in Abraham's case, the uh, faith of righteousness is what he has produced there. So five questions we're going to look at this morning, uh, plus, depending upon time, Abraham as well. And he says, I want you to avoid a foolish faith, a foolish face to these uh, issues. So what is a foolish faith? A foolish faith is this. It's when I try to gain salvation or favor with God by my good works and not through Jesus Christ. These words foolish here, actually the word foolish there has a connotation of being mentally lazy. I'm just not going to the due diligence to figure this out. And he was the word bewitched. It means to be misled by charming words. And so there were people who were coming into Galatia who had these charming words that were very charismatic in their ability to communicate. And so they were drawing people together, causing them to become mentally lazy, not to do their own due diligence, to figure out what is being said here. So there's a mental block. It, and the, the problem is that when people don't have a freedom faith, a faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel, it's, it's not because the truth isn't available. It's because they are mentally stubborn. It's because their heart has become hardened, because their eyes have been blinded. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says there that the reason that you're not receiving the gospel is because the evil one has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the gospel of light. So the problem is not most of the time because we just don't have the truth. The problem is that because we have a spiritual blindness and a mental laziness, to not explore the truth. So he says, I don't want you to have a foolish faith. And then the second question is this, how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you get the Holy Spirit because you were working really hard, or did you get it by faith? The Holy Spirit comes to us by faith. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing by faith? We don't get the Holy Spirit because we do something to gain him. There has been teaching that has gone on that if you speak in tongues, then you can have the Holy Spirit as some sort of a second blessing. Uh, That is a foreign concept to most of the teaching of the New Testament. In Acts 2, that happened, but not because they asked for it, but because the Holy Spirit gave it to them. They just blessed them with speaking in tongues as a manifestation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, For by one Spirit we were all baptized. And the word baptized means to change my identity, to be transformed from a sinner to a saint. That's what he's talking about and then this transformation of the body occurs where Jews and Gentiles become one body. Galatians chapter 3:28 the very book we're in. Paul says in that book, in that message of the gospel, Jew and Gentile, slave and freeman, <laughs> slave and freeman. i combined two words there. Male and female. I just want to rush through it so quickly. I just combined words and make them new words. And so Galatians 3.28 is the same as 1 Corinthians 12.13. You have become a new person and a new body. So don't be a foolish believer thinking that you can get more of the Holy Spirit by working harder. It's sort of this laborious process of spiritual exhaustion. When we think if we just do better for God, I'll get more of God's power in me. Then he talks about this. Third question. How can you be perfected in holiness? Well, it's not by my efforts, but by the same faith that saved me. This is where legalism has come in. You know, I grew up in a fairly legalistic world in the 1950s and the 1960s. Uh, about two weeks ago, we talked about that. Remember, uh, I used the illustration of a woman wearing pants and how that was the uh, birth pains of the uh, Great Tribulation in the minds of some people. That how how could a... How could a woman wearing pants possibly be a righteous woman? And surely, as you recall, it would lead to smoking and other crimes. So that was a mindset. That was a real deal back in the 50s and the 60s. And we're dancing and holding hands, and it's talked about all that. I'm going to repeat it all. But all these things that became a legalistic standard, those are the measuring tools as to whether you're a righteous person. And the Apostle Paul says, No, you, you can't somehow work your way in a legalistic way. Are you so foolish? Think you'd be perfected in the flesh by what you do? No. Here's an illustration. Um, one of the things I used to do with my car is to wash it myself. I always like to wash my own car because I didn't trust anybody else because they might, they might scratch it. But I've learned something here lately, I've advanced in technology. I go up the street here, the five-minute car wash, five bucks for five minutes. And I'll spend five bucks to get my car washed. And so I drive in there, and just like this video, this is the, the kind of thing. What I love about it is you go in there, and there's a sign that says, put your car in neutral and take your hands off the wheel, take your hands off the gas pedal and the brake, and just sit there. And so for five minutes, there's something renewing about that. That the car is just being carried along on that little track that's in there, and there's little things that are roving around, there's water splashing here, there's soap that's coming down, and the car in front of you, and there's a car in back of you, and it just, you just sort of sit there. You think, well, I got five minutes to do nothing. And there's something, as I said, renewable about that. I might even put on Carrie Underwood, Jesus Take the Wheel, and uh, that would give me, that would, no, I, I didn't even have it on my iTunes. But it's that kind of an attitude of sitting back. What Paul is saying is that spiritually, we should be like in the car wash. And I'm not trying to make trite the whole by the metaphor. But that somehow it moves us along by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not like we don't do anything. But that we have the sense that the Spirit of God is moving me forward. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. On our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange is where my sin is put on Jesus and Jesus' righteousness is put on me. And like a car wash, I just take my hands off whatever wheel I've got that I'm trying to control my life in, and I just let God begin to purify me. I allow that spirit to convict me when sinful. I'll that Spirit of God to teach me when studying God's Word. I'll allow the the, uh, Holy Spirit to continue to help me grow in my faith before Jesus Christ so that I understand exactly what He wants from me. This is is the transformation. In the Galatians world, as long as I kept the civil laws, the dietary laws, the moral laws, circumcision, then I'm really living for God in righteousness. And Paul says... Don't live based upon those works. Live based upon your faith. The faith that saves you is the faith that the Holy Spirit empowers you with. So he wants us to transform that. And then he gives up this uh, sort of obscure reference to suffering. Is the suffering of believers a wasted effort? Well, it is. If I am a believer in the Galatian philosophy, suffering is a wasted effort if it doesn't somehow gain me something. Because the Galatian philosophy is, I keep the dietary laws, I keep circumcision laws, I keep the moral laws, I keep the civil laws of the Old Testament of Moses. And so therefore, I should have a better life. Paul then brings up, what about suffering? When you suffer, if you have that same mindset, it better get me something. Because I'm not going to suffer and not get anything out of it. So it's a sort of this narcissistic, centralized, selfish attitude that I do something and God owes me. Suffering, God owes me. That's a foolish faith. The faith that Christ wants is that I suffer and that somehow through that I may not gain a thing, but that the gospel advances to touch other people's lives. That's the new way of thinking about it. And then he has this question. This is where we're going to stop for a moment. Does God's spiritual power work in me because I keep the law or by working by faith, walking by faith? This is an interesting verse. So then does the, he who provides you with the spirit and works miracles among you, does he do this great powerful thing because you're a faithful keeper of the law? Or is it because you're a great person of faith? And this is the mindset that, that I, get, I get upside down in how I think about how God wants to operate. Now, I'm going to take you on a little excursion that will feel like we're no longer in Galatians, but it's the principles of Galatians. But the principles of Galatians, let me review. A couple of weeks ago, I showed you this chart. I love this chart. And uh, part of it, because I made it up, uh, but also i 've been it you know, didn 't just make it up for Galatians this is like thirty years ago. Uh, I thought about this and sort of put this together and i 'm not going to say it 's holy spirit inspired, but it inspires me. There are things that are foundational, just to review foundational things are God has said these things, and these things are true, foundational things like Jesus is fully God, fully man, Jesus died on the cross to redeem me from my sins. The scriptures are inerrant, infallible, trustworthy today. Supplemental issues are those things where I may have an opinion. I want to consider your opinion, my opinion. We might have differences of opinion as to whether that is a good thing or a bad thing. I ride a motorcycle. In your opinion, some of you, you think this is the craziest thing you could ever do because you're risking your life and limb. And I say, I consider that. That's thoughtful. That's thoughtful. You like to ride in a steel cage. I respect that as well. And so we all, we all have our standards. Some people, uh, I like dogs, you like cats. So we think, we, we have these opinions about things. And then there are incidental things that just simply, they just don't matter. Let me illustrate in the book of Galatians. Here's Galatians. In Galatians, what Paul the Apostle wants us to understand is this. There is God's truth. What is God's truth in Galatians? That we by faith alone, in Christ alone, by this Holy Spirit's power, we will live this victorious life. Paul says, I want to bring the Galatians back to this foundational truth. That it's Christ alone, faith alone, spirit-led power that transforms lives. The faith that saves you is the faith that sustains you. The Holy Spirit fills you. He gives you righteousness. And you live out of that righteousness. What the Galatians are doing is this supplemental issue of Old Testament civil and dietary laws. Circumcision. They are saying they are important. They're taking what is really a supplemental issue that we're not saying the laws are not good. They had a value. They had a place. We'll talk more about it next week. The laws of the Old Testament had a place in time and history for the nation of Israel to set them apart from all other nations. So God says, here are the dietary laws, here are the dress codes, here are the moral laws, here are the civil laws as to how you should treat other people. And the circumcision is the sign that you are my children. They're good. But the problem is, when those things that are good that are temporary begin to replace the things that are timeless, like God's truth for all time, then I've got a problem. We have a tendency to take what is supplemental or incidental and move it down here, and we make everything about this when it's up here. We don't want to transfer what God said is sort of an incidental, supplemental, has value, has a place, but don't replace my core biblical teaching. The church is notorious for doing that. Again, going back to a woman wearing pants, I <laughs> mean... For those people that, when I used that illustration two weeks ago, where for a lot of us dress and communion, service times, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, Saturday night, Friday night, you know, Sunday night, a woman married pants, for those people way back there, was down here. And God says, just don't do that. Don't take what I think is so incidental and insignificant, and I just don't care, and make that foundational. Now let me, let me drill down one more time. I love this verse. I've used this verse here before. So because it's going to be somewhat familiar, I'm going to do what I just did with this verse. And that is to put it into my pyramid of unity. Thus says the Lord, this is Jeremiah, writing to the nation of Israel, being held captive by the Babylonians. And then he says to them, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. So three areas, he says, I don't want you to boast about. I don't want you to boast about how smart and intellectual you are. I don't want you to boast about how powerful and strong you are physically or your position at work. You're the president of the company. You have power over 200 people. I don't want you to boast about those powerful positions you have. And thirdly, I don't want you to boast about your riches. You may have more money than everybody else in this room, but I don't want you to boast about that. You may have a Social Security check of $1,100 a month, and that's what you live on, and you need our E&F funds to help you get by. God bless you, but don't boast about how poor you are. Don't boast about how rich you are. Don't make being poor more spiritual than being rich is more spiritual either. So, Paul is saying, or Jeremiah is saying, just don't use those as measuring tools for somehow spiritual greatness. But if you're going to boast, here's what I want you to boast about that you understand and know God. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. I delight in those things, I delight in that. That's where I want you to live in your world. Here, let me put it into my little pyramid. Foundational for God is this, that I know God. I know him. I try to understand him. I don't always understand God. But he says that you know and you understand me. That's what God says. Now, how would I want you to live your life? I want you to be loving. I want you to be just. I want you to be righteous. That's foundational. Everything must go through that grid. That's what I delight in. On the other hand, I don't want you to boast about your intellect, how smart you are. I don't want you to boast about how powerful or strong your position at work may be. I want you to boast about how wealthy you are. Now listen, God's not saying that my intellect, my power, and my wealth are bad things. Just like in Galatians. He's not saying that the laws, the civil laws, the dietary laws, circumcision, he's not saying those are bad things. He's just saying they are not priority things. They're not foundational things. If I begin to build my life around my intellect, my power, and my wealth, God says I don't delight in that. And so therefore, sometimes it gets translated to degrees and job and the home and the kind of car I drive. And so my world is all about here, and I get all uptight about whether I have the right kind of home, the right kind of car, whether I have all the things this world would offer me. And we get all uptight about making the mortgage payments, and, and we get all caught up in the, in the way we spent our money. Our stewardship gets a little upside down because it's all about this. And God says, I want it to be all about that. You may have no degrees, no job, no home, no car, but if you know me, you understand me, and you live by love, justice, and righteousness, God says, I delight in you. But if you make this no part of your life, and this is all about your life, the degrees I've earned, the graduations that are going on right now, if your life is all about that, but you don't know and understand me, you don't love me, you don't live by justice. You don't live by righteousness. You wasted your time. Because that's not what counts. God doesn't delight. He didn't say he delights in this. He delights in this. So the Galatians, God says, I don't delight and you keep in you keeping the civil laws, the dietary laws, circumcision. I delight in your faith in Jesus Christ, that Christ alone is the driving force of my life the spirit controlling me pushing me through life cleaning me up as i just sit there it just begins to clean me up now i need to act i need to be responsible but i can't make those things down here my works let me let me take you on one more step two more steps i brought this up last time 2 weeks ago i've had a number of questions about this so let me explain where I'm coming from. Same principles. Now again, it won't sound like, well, Dave, you're not in Galatians anymore. No, I am. I'm in Galatians by principle, if not by specific application. The principle is this. The whole thing about marriage today, it's a big deal. God's truth is this, that marriage is between one man and one woman. That's biblical truth. God said it in the Garden of Eden of Genesis, Jesus reaffirms it in Matthew chapter 19, that it's one man, one woman. Jesus also reaffirms it's only two genders, a man and a woman. God created man and woman, and then he gave husband and wife. So Jesus reaffirms the truth that God gave to us in Galatians 1 and 2. That's biblical truth. Now here's what some of us get hung up. Opinion, supplemental. How do I express that love to different kinds of marriages. There are many kinds of marriages. Right now, the big deal of an evangelical church like ours is this, and I want to help us to think about this. It's come up that uh, if you're baking a cake, I'm not going to do it for a gay wedding. If you're a florist, I'm not going to do it for a gay wedding. I get that. But that's not the only other kind of wedding out there, or the other kind of marriage that's out there. There are many marriages out there. And you and I better determine that we don't make the wrong thing the higher priority thing. Let me explain. The standard for God is that one man, one woman for life. But there are all kinds of marriages in this church. There are some of you who have been married once, twice, maybe three times. And I'm not saying anything except that there are people who have had multiple marriages through divorce Often through divorce. There are some who have marriages here where one spouse or the other is not loving the other spouse the way Jesus loves them, and there's lust. There are marriages where there is physical adultery, there are marriages where there is spiritual adultery because you're looking at this other person in the office or down the street or on the screen of pornography. And there's a spiritual adultery that's going on. That's another kind of marriage. There are marriages where we've been married together for 50 years, but there's no no effective intimacy of communication and support. It's like two people in the same house, but so far apart. That's a kind of marriage. So what does God say to us? Whether it's a gay marriage or it's broken heterosexual marriages, How do we respond? My opinion is, I go down here. I go back to Jeremiah. How do I relate to people who have different kinds of marriages? I relate to them as I would relate to anybody who needs Jesus Christ. I love them. I want what's just. I want righteousness. I want them to know God as I know God. I want them to understand God as best they can as I try to understand God as best they can. So a lot of people say, I would never go to a gay marriage or gay wedding. And I would say, I respect that. But for me, I would go anywhere to build any kind of relationship that maybe by the sovereign will of God, he would open for me an opportunity to bring people here in a gay wedding down to here in terms of foundational truths that God, they know him, they understand him, and they want the same things that God says about life, that they would move down here, that God would understand. I can't do that if I don't have a relationship with them. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Just don't make what I feel about gay weddings and whether I should go, don't move that down here. God never said how to relate to people in gay weddings, except for the fact that he said, Love everyone. Love everyone. It doesn't, how I relate to those people doesn't change the definition. My going to this doesn't change what I believe about this. So for you and for me, I want us as a church to remember that our calling is to not go around telling people how they should live. Our calling is to go around telling people how Jesus lives. And we invite them into it. See, Paul's case with the Galatians, the the Judaizers were coming into the camps of uh, Antioch and Iconium of Galatia. And they were telling these believers how they should live their lives. Here's the dietary laws. Here's the ceremonial laws. Here's the civil laws. Here's circumcision. This is how you should live your life if you're going to be a good people person like me. Paul says, don't do that. All we need to bring them is to Jesus and the gospel. The gospel is what sets people free, not dietary and civil and ceremonial laws. And I don't want the things that somehow are the Judaizers of today to move down here and pretend as though they have the corner on truth. Because you're not going to save anybody who is in a gay wedding if you convince them not to have a gay wedding. You're not going to save anybody if you go to a gay wedding and try to love them. You're not going to save anybody if you don't go to a gay wedding. You're just not going to move them down here unless you have a relationship. And so then we have the, the incidental. as like ceremony, location, ages. Now let me, let me go a little bit lighter. One last time. God's truth about marriage in all relationships. Let me just take because I'm a married man. That God says for me to love and respect my wife. That's biblical. That's the foundational truth. The supplemental things, there's all kinds of techs, techniques, devices for communications, stewardship, the time invested, quality time, quantity time, we kind of battle those things around, uh, date time, just being kind. Those are all reflections of foundational truth down here. Incidental are these, and this is where marriages kind of get upside down sometimes, Or relationships. Things, furniture, car, motorcycle, Pets, cats, dogs. We we get up we get upset about that. Let me let me illustrate. I've shared this with you, but it fits into this so nicely. You've heard this before, some of you. I think it was Joy's and my first anniversary. Remember this? Where I bought her for her anniversary present, a black and decker Dust Buster. Because I thought, what a practical and convenient tool for her when I spilt things on the kitchen floor. She would love that. In my mind's eye, I thought, this is, she's it's so, it's so practical, it's so simple, it's so convenient for her to clean up after me that way. <laughs> and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that, but that's what I was thinking. And I was young and I was immature. And uh, fortunately, that was like 40 years ago, and she's still living with me. <laughs> but here's the thing now, get this. My point of bringing that up is that a, a dustbuster for your first anniversary, a dustbuster is here, right? Here is my beautiful and lovely wife. My wife concluded, oh, thank you, but I didn't take long to figure out this was kind of a mistake, you know? <laughs> But here's what Joy did not do. She did not take that, kind of that blunder on my part, and move it down here and make it say, oh, you don't love me. You don't respect me. What a terrible husband you are. How you have corrupted this whole marriage because you're so selfish with your dustbuster. Here, you take your dustbuster and get out of here. She didn't do that. She didn't do that. Hear me. Because for joy, it was up here. It's up here, it's a thing. I wasn't being malicious, I was just being stupid. <laughs> and so she wasn't gonna penalize me for stupidity. Because in my heart, in my heart, I thought I was doing a loving thing. So here's my tip just don't rush to judgment. That because I might do a stupid thing, don't move that stupid thing like a dustbuster down to here and make it foundational like it's undermining everything it's just a thing it's a car you get a ding in your car it's just a thing somebody scratches my motorcycle that's different <laughs> that that belongs here it's just a thing i know it's just a thing see this is see we all have our things right we have our things but here's the key it's what Paul is saying, this is trying to make it broader than just Judaizers and circumcision on a Sunday morning where, okay, we get it. Okay, I won't get circumcised, or I will get so I don't know. So moving from the Galatians' application to where you and I live in this world is the same principle. The gospel of Jesus Christ saves, not dietary laws. In my relationships, love and respect don't get hung up on things or pork techniques don't move them to foundational. Let them be what they are, incidental, and get back to the foundational things. So there's my extra version of Galatians 5, 1 through 5, and that's where we land. So I hope that makes sense to you. I hope it's practical. I hope it guides us into the journey and helps us to have better relationships with the Lord and with one another. One of the things that Paul talks about, then he continues on, I'm going to wrap up with this, is that I love this next section that we don't have time to get into. But he said, look, people are saved in the Old Testament not by keeping the works of the law, not by doing lawful things. They're saved by faith. Abraham was saved by faith. Abraham believed God and he was saved by faith. And then he says, not only through Abraham, but Gentiles were saved by faith. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. You and I who are Gentiles in this room, remember that we are blessed because of Abraham. We are blessed because of the Jewish people. We're blessed because of what God did in Abraham's life. That seed of Abraham is to Jesus, and Jesus comes to us. So Abraham is the blessing to you and I who are Gentiles. It's one of the reasons why we love to support the nation of Israel. Because God has blessed those people, even though they don't have a faith in him. But we know that our task is to help them come to faith in him. And then our freedom from the, this is this curse. The curse of the law. This is such a powerful thing. <coughs> in Galatians 3, it says there, For as many as the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in them, the book of the law, to perform them. We'll be talking more about the law next week. But if we are only working under the law, we are cursed. And the beauty is this, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's why when I talk about supplemental and incidental things, don't let those supplemental incidental things become the curse Because Jesus Christ is the Redeemer. Go back to the foundation, the redemption of Jesus. Paul says, I don't want you to get caught up in the curse of the dietary, civil, and ceremonial laws and circumcision. Stop it. Come back to Jesus because you can never get out of that curse. Come back to Jesus, the foundational truth. That he is the one who redeems us. He hung on that tree to set us free. So when we think about the things that are incidental or supplemental that are good I'm not saying don't have those, just like don't boast about your intellect, your power, and your wealth. They're okay, but they shouldn't be the priority. And so for us, the curse of the law, it's a burden that I can never achieve. until Jesus came along and said, I'm going to take that curse for you. I'm going to set you free from that. So see how Paul says, I'm going to bring you back to the foundational truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you are not overly burdened by my laws, by my thoughts, my opinions, things that I think are important, and God says that's not important to me, so stop it. Go back to what God says is important, and that is that Jesus Christ became a curse for you and for me to redeem us from the curse of law and the curse of sin. We're going to celebrate communion Communion is that time where we say, yes, Lord, you have set me free from the curse of that law. You've you've redeemed me from the sins of my life. It's not my good works. It's not keeping the works of the law. It's not doing good things. It's not legalism. It's not efforts on my part that gives me righteousness. It's Jesus alone that gives me righteousness. He takes my sin, puts it on him. He takes his righteousness, puts it on me. It's just like that, like a car wash. He just cleans me up. And I let him do it because he does it perfectly, and I can never achieve that. So I'm going to pray for us as we receive our communion elements. The bread, first of all, symbolizing the body of Jesus and the cup, symbolizing the blood of Jesus. These are symbols, but it says, yes, Lord, I am believing in you. And this is one way that I prove my faith in you. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the, the reality of your word the beauty of your truth, and that God, that we can explore other applications to the same principles you're giving to us in Galatians. That God, we keep coming back to that which is fundamental, and foundational truth. That Jesus Christ, faith alone in Him, redeemed from the curse of the law. And God, don't let us be people who somehow create new laws. And curse other people because they don't keep the laws we think they should keep. Don't let us be like that. Rid us of legalism. Of that whole world of trying to regulate people's lives. And let's help bring people to Jesus. Let Jesus do the heavy lifting of redemption, forgiveness, righteousness, love, healing. God, we come to you. Thank you that Jesus became a curse for us by taking the curse of the law to give us what we could never achieve in our own strength. We remember you now for that, Father, with this bread. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.